Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. guys can join us either way. The past few weeks, Pastor Andreas has been talking to us about values. And uh, we had the opportunity a couple of weeks ago to share values, share what's important to us. Uh, and I briefly shared on one, one, one value that, that, I, that I think is important, something that, um, that I try my best to live by, don't always get it right. But that, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. So I just want to open in a word of prayer, if you don't mind. Father, thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your Holy Spirit within us. And thank you, Lord God, that you give us a joy that strengthens us, that encourages us. Thank you that you are a God who fills us with good news, who gives us good news because we are delivered in Jesus' name. There is much that we have to celebrate and be glad about because of Jesus. And we thank you for, for all of that today in Jesus' name. Amen. So, what I want to share with you today is just a little phrase that, I've used, that I often use when I talk to people. Some people, when they go through a rough time, I say it sort of tongue-in-cheek and, and it's not always received very well. But I often say, listen, keep your head down and your chin up. If you can manage that, you'll be okay. And I want to talk to you about that today. I want to talk to you about why that's a value. I want to draw on some scriptural reference. We're going to quote quite a lot of scripture today. Because I'm going to show you how the, this principle is so intrinsic in scripture. And it is, it is meant for our strengthening, for our encouragement, for our emboldening. And to help us live a life that is victorious and overcoming. So... First thing I want to say is this. Keep your chin up speaks about having a positive, positive attitude. And keep your head down speaks about taking personal responsibility. Now, physically, it's very difficult to keep your chin up and your head down. That's very difficult to do. So, obviously, it's metaphorical. Uh, and so, let's talk about the first part. Keep your chin up. The Bible says this in Proverbs 17, verse 22. I'll read it to you from the Amplified Bible. And it says... A happy heart is good medicine, and a cheerful mind works healing, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. A happy heart is good medicine. When do you have medicine? When you are sick. And a cheerful mind works healing. When do you need healing? When you are not well. And so what the scripture speaks of is that in the midst of something that is not quite right, not how you'd like it to be, not in its optimal, a good attitude, a cheerful heart, a happy spirit is, is incredibly powerful for healing. And it says, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Uh, you look at, at many who go through tough challenges physically in hospital, those with a positive attitude, get healed, they get restored far quicker than those who are negative, who are downcast, who are depressed, and who are sad. And as people of God, we sometimes forget how much it is that we have to be grateful for and how much we have to be happy about. 
You know, if I just read Psalm 100, it says some incredible things. And maybe if you've got your Bibles there, I'll give you a minute. Turn in your Bibles or flip on your devices to Psalm 100. It's a short psalm. But I want us to read it together because it gives us instructions. Instructions in how we to approach God. Instructions in how we're to live and approach situations in our lives. And, and it, it, it instructs us in the attitude that our heart should embrace. When I say to you that there are certain attitudes our heart should embrace, the first thing I want to, as you turn to the scripture, I want to say to you is this. Your attitude depends entirely on you. I'll say that again. Our attitudes depend entirely on us. Nobody else can take the blame or the credit for a good or a bad attitude that we have. I am responsible for my attitude. I can't blame my parents. I can't blame my upbringing. I can't blame my circumstances. I can't blame the atmosphere in the home around me or in the corporate environment that I live in. I can't blame my church or my leaders or my elders. I am entirely, I can't even blame God. I have to take responsibility for my own attitude. And, my, and that means I have a responsibility in that area. So if I look at Psalm 100, God tells me this. Make a joyful shout to God or to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. God wants us to serve him, not begrudgingly, not with pain, or, but with gladness. A happiness of heart, a positive and a cheery disposition. Come before his presence with singing. I don't know about you. I, I do a lot of singing. Singing makes me happy. I, I feel better when I sing. Uh, I suppose some of us should probably not follow that route. People around us might not feel so good if we sing. But the point is this. There's an attitude of the heart that comes out when you, when you sing and you make, you're merry before the Lord. It says, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So enter his presence with thanksgiving and into, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless him. What does this speak of? It speaks of an attitude of gratitude. We are gracious towards the Lord. We are thankful for who he is and for what he's done for us. And the Bible tells us that his mercy to us is new every morning. Every day he gives us opportunities to experience his love. Every day he gives us a new chance, a clean slate. We have so much to be thankful for. For Jesus, that our sins are forgiven. That his presence indwells us. Despite what we're going through. Despite the challenges that we may face. Final verse, he says, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures towards all generations. This is our God. So there's something in the heart of God that longs for us to, to serve him with gladness, with happiness and with joy. Turn back a few, a few pages to Psalm chapter 4. Well, I'll read it for you. Psalm 4 verse 7 says this. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. So in other words, there is a gladness that God can put in our hearts that is, that is even better, even, even bigger and even deeper than when we get everything that we want. That whole adage of 
even more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. That was huge celebration. That meant blessing. That meant prosperity was coming. We're all glad when we get what we want, right? We're all glad when we get wonderful gifts or when we get a raise or an increase. We're all glad when good things come our way. But the Bible says here that, God, you have put a gladness in my heart that is even bigger than these things. That is not dependent upon outside circumstances. Because it doesn't come from what goes on around me, but it comes from you. Again, in the book of Philippians, Paul writes to the church there, and in chapter 2, verses 14 to 15, he says this, Do all things without complaining and disputing. Ouch! How many of you struggle with that? How many things have you complained about today alone? Whether it's your aching knee as you got out of bed in the morning. We, we, we start out complaining. And then we have our first cup of coffee and we come to. And, and then life's not so bad for a little while. But we spend a lot of time moaning about things. Moaning about the weather. We moan about the government. We moan about our finances. We moan about the... The Bible says we're to do all things without complaining. You know what happens, what we're actually saying when we're complaining about things in our lives? We're actually saying to God, God, I'm not really happy with the state of affairs around me. Now, truth is, for most of those affairs, it's our responsibility. It's the decisions we have made. But the Bible says God wants us to do all things without complaining and without disputing, without fighting with one another. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now that's incredible. He says that if you do things without complaining and without fighting, you will become not only blameless and harmless children of God, but in the midst of a perverse and, and, and crooked generation, you will shine as lights in the world. What makes light shine is its contrast to darkness. That's why if you light a candle during the day, you'll be able to observe the flame, but it's not, you're not going to experience much light. But if you light a candle at night, that, that, that small little flame is powerful enough to light up the whole room. You can see it from a great distance. Why? Because in the midst of everything that's dark, that light shines brightly. Now, in the midst of a world where everybody is grumbling, where everybody is complaining, those who don't stand out like a sore thumb. Why? Because it's unusual. It's not normal. You know, we're so focused on all the things we can complain about that we, we forget about all the things we can be glad about, all the things we can be thankful for. So those who don't complain and who don't get engaged with those kinds of conversations, they stand out like a, there's something remarkably different about them. Nothing gets them down. And in the midst of conversations where things turn south, they turn up north. When things turn bad, they find the positive. They look for the good and the happiness in all these things. Folks, I want to say to you today, happiness is a choice. The world spends its time pursuing happiness. And I've said this before, uh, because I truly believe it. The pursuit of happiness is a fool's game. Because hap what makes us happy is not always what is good for us. What makes us happy often is just our comfort and, and the absence of trials or tribulations. So the pursuit of happiness will often mean we remove ourselves from a position or a place that God wants us to be in order that we may receive comfort. So pursuing happiness is, 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 is a fool's game. 
But allowing happiness to possess our hearts in the midst of whatever it is that we're going through, well, that is of God. Because God has put a gladness and a gratitude in us that comes from a deep appreciation for who he is and for what he's done. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie Pollyanna, but it's a movie that that, that touches me so deeply every time I, I watch it. I'll give you a brief synopsis of, the, of what this movie is about. It's about a little girl whose parents were missionaries. Her father was a missionary and her parents died. So she, they were very, very poor. She went to go live with her aunt who was very wealthy and her aunt was highly influential in this town. But her aunt was also uh, very autocratic, very strong leader. She, Because she owned half the town, she ruled half the town. She even told the minister what to preach from the pulpit on a Sunday. And really was very domineering and hard. And so this whole town was downcast. It was a miserable place to be. Until this little girl, Pollyanna, comes. And one of the first scenes in the movie is she meets her aunt. And her aunt says to her, where on earth did you get that hideous dress? And she says, well, it came in the missionary bells. And, you know... Uh, uh, she, there was a time when she, she asked for a little doll to come from the missionary barrels, which is basically how the missions got provisions. They'd send orders, they need this or they need that, and they sent a request for a little doll for this missionary's daughter, Pollyanna. And instead of the doll, she got a pair of crutches. And she was so disappointed and so upset that her dad created a game for her called the Glad Game. And what the game was all about is that in the midst of whatever it is that you're going through, find something to be glad about. So Aunt says to her, well, crutches doesn't seem like something to be awfully glad about. She goes, no, not at face value, but we became glad that I didn't need to use them. And she started teaching people in the town and touching people's lives with all this. And they were, they were upset about it. All this glad this, glad that, happiness here, sunshine, roses and butterflies and all. What is up with this? But as the movie draws to a close, Pollyanna has a bad fall and she breaks she breaks uh, her leg and she's and the whole town turns out to come and see her because she has impacted this town to such a degree. Why? Because there was something different in her. She refused to be down, and her gladness was so infectious that it changed it changed the town. So I encourage you get your hands on the movie Pollyanna. It is very old. But it is very good and it will really bless you. I learned a lot from that movie. But really just the power of gladness, the power of a positive attitude and the realization that that is within my control. James says this in the book of James chapter 1. He says this, my dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, but I like the way he said that. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for joy. So let me ask you, how many opportunities for joy do you have assailing you right now? Do you see them that way? Or are there just more troubles that need to be overcome? Troubles, troubles, troubles. They follow us everywhere. They follow our troubles. And if I keep focusing on them, the more they get me down. But James gives us a secret here. He says, consider an opportunity for great joy. Why would I be joyous in the midst of a trial or a struggle? For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So he encourages us here 
that in the midst of a difficult situation, to consider an opportunity. How can I see joy in this opportunity? God, what is it you want me to change? What kind of victory do you want to bring into this situation? How do you want to glorify your name? How can, how can I grow in my strength and in my faith in you through this situation? Just a little shift in attitude changes the outcome. It changes the perception from which I view the problem and also changes the attitude with which I face the problem. I don't know any longer see this as this terrible thing that has come to derail me and steal from me, but I see it as something, as a stepping stone to a higher level. That's how David saw Goliath. He didn't see him as this, this huge giant like the rest of the nation did. He saw, he saw him as an opportunity for God to glorify himself. And he did. Jesus says something really, really similar. John 16, verse 33. This is a difficult verse to get our heads around. He says this. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. So he talks about his life, his death, his resurrection. That, and, and what does he want? He wants us to have and to live in peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Why? Because I have overcome the world. I love that verse. Jesus doesn't deny that if we say that if we follow him, everything will go right. Everything will be easy. Life will be tough. No. The life of a Christian is not easy. The life of faith is not easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. If it was easy, we wouldn't need faith. We would just go and, and it would happen. But it's not easy. And it's fraught with trials and tests and temptations. And, and we live in the midst of two worlds, a heavenly kingdom and the world around us. And we are in the world, but we are not of the world. And there's this grappling within us all the time, different influences, different forces pulling us in different directions, a, a, a desire in us to live for God and to praise Him and to love Him completely. And yet our flesh that wants to draw us back into our old ways. And Jesus says, in this world, as long as we are in this world, don't be fooled. We are going to have tribulations. We are going to have tough times and difficult times and things that test us and try us. But he says, be of good cheer. Why? Because I'm with you and I've overcome the world. So although you've got to face these things, you will walk through them with me. You will overcome them with me because I know how to overcome them. It's as though there's a, there's a problem before us. And Jesus knows exactly how to solve this problem. The trouble we have so often is that we're trying to solve the problem in our own strength or in our own way. Rather than just listening to Jesus say, do it this way or do it that way. But be of good cheer. How, how easy is it is to, to be of good cheer in the midst of a problem? Well, it really depends on where you put your focus. You see, if you put your focus on Jesus... Rather than your problem, you will have good cheer. It's like David. He didn't set his eyes on Goliath, but he pronounced and said, he spoke about the greatness and the size of his God. It's like when the spies went out to look at the, the promised land. Ten of them came back with a negative report. Their eyes were on the size of the giants. And they said, we were like grasshoppers in our eyes, and therefore we were like grasshoppers in their eyes. But two came back with a positive report. Why? Because they didn't focus on the size of the giant. They focused on the size of their God. And said, surely our God is able to give us the land that he has promised us. Surely our God is faithful to keep his word. 
You see, if you focus on your problem, you will have no cheer. You will become discouraged. You see, the only time you need courage, folks, is when you're faced with a trial or with a problem or with a fear that seems overwhelming, that you don't know how to deal with in your own ability. Now, as we grow, our capacity increases and a little thing here, a little thing there, a trial here, a problem there, we can deal with them and we learn how to graft through these things. But you know, if they all start adding up and they all start happening at the same time, we can, we can quickly become overwhelmed or discouraged if we focus on them and we allow them to sway our hearts and to sway our confidence. Courage is a very important part of faith. And that's why the Bible places so much emphasis on encouragement. To encourage somebody means to put courage in them. And that's what I hope to do with you today. I hope to put some courage in you. Now, you don't need courage if you're not at war. You don't need courage if you're not trying to overcome something. But if you don't have courage in the midst of a problem, you will be overcome. You will be discouraged. Courage, that strength, that vitality, that grace from God that you need to get at your problem and get in its face and overcome it, won't be there. It won't be present. The Bible says if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. It doesn't, it doesn't magnify the adversity. It talks about your strength. So how do we do this? How do we encourage ourselves in the Lord? It's by constantly being of good cheer, knowing that Jesus is with us. 1 Thessalonians says it this way, in verse chapter 5, verse 16 to 18. He says, Rejoice always. Always. Rejoice. That word rejoice, we don't understand what it means. The word rejoice in, in its context, if you, if you want to get the, the, the literal understanding of it, it, it literally means to jump around with gladness, exuberant. It, it's very expressive. It is not English in any way. It is not posh. It, is not, it does not preserve its image. It is reckless. It is energetic. It is jumping around completely that's what rejoice really looks like. And he says, rejoice always. No wonder the world calls us a peculiar people. Anyway, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In other words, in the midst of your problem, give your problems to God. That is what prayer is. Come and talk to God about what's going on in your life. Allow Him to strengthen you and encourage you and tell you how to deal with your problem. In everything, give thanks. It doesn't say for everything, give thanks. I don't give thanks for my trial necessarily, but I give thanks in my trial. Why? Because God's grace is sufficient for me. His presence is with me. His word and his promises are true and they stand forever and I can trust them. And then he goes on to say this, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So the old covenant tells us, I must serve the Lord. Hold on, what does it say? It says, with gladness. with gladness, yes. Psalm 100 verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. The New Testament tells me to rejoice always in everything to give thanks, for this is the will of God for me. So, God, folks, the Bible is very clear concerning the attitude with which we should live out our lives as believers. The gospel is supposed to be good news. <laughs> Do we always receive it as such? Why would anybody want to come to Christ if his followers are as miserable as the rest of the world? 
We serve a good God, but we moan all day long. Our God is good and He is faithful and He is loving. Oh, but I'm depressed and I'm miserable. It, it, there's something amiss. There's something that doesn't connect. Either what we're saying isn't true or our thinking isn't right. And we need to align our thinking up with the way God says we should think. Can people around you see the joy of your salvation? Is it evident? Does the atmosphere change when you enter a room? You know, do you, do you have any idea how, how, how powerful just a smile is? If you've never tried this, I, I, this is your, 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 your assignment for this week. Smile. Smile. When you look at yourself in the mirror in the morning, that's when you start. Smile at yourself. Clean your teeth and then do it again. Smile. Just look at yourself with a happy face. And then go walk around and start smiling at people. I try this. And I walk through shopping centers and I greet people. Nobody greets anybody anymore. I go for a run. I greet everybody I go past with a smile. I go to the shopping center. I try and bring a smile to people's face. People don't do that anymore. You get to the teller and she's as miserable as anything. And she's doing this. Hi, how are you? And she lifts her head. And you can see there's just... Where, what planet are you from to talk to me this way? It's very interesting the, 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 the power and the impact a smile can have. Here's something that, that's worth thinking about. The impact that a smile can have on somebody else is often interpreted as flirting. Did you know that? If you smile at somebody, it can be easily interpreted as flirting. Do you know why? Because they're not used to positive attention. People are not used to receiving positive attention from strangers. There's something about smiling at somebody and just being kind to them that makes them feel loved. And of course, some people misinterpret that and that can be perverted. But here's the truth, folks. Happy people are attractive. Happy people are attractive. It's just the truth. Doesn't matter how much you weigh. Doesn't matter what your hair looks like or whether or not you've got makeup on. If you are happy and you are vivacious and there's a laugh about you and a positive attitude, that attitude in itself is attractive. So let's break this down a little further. Happy Christians are attractive. And therefore we get to attract people, not to ourselves, but to our God. Why? Because God is attractive. His love is attractive. But how are people ever going to encounter that with a bunch of miserable believers walking around saying one thing but living in another way? No. Let's put our chin up. Whether I feel like it or not, I'm going to be glad. You say, oh, but that's just faking it. No, it's not faking it. It's making a quality decision. I don't feel happy. I feel miserable. I feel upset. I feel frustrated. That's how I feel. But since when does the Bible teach us that we need to be led by how we feel? The just shall live by faith and not by feelings. So when I'm feeling that way, what do I do? I've got to stir up my faith. And I'm going to have to put the word of God in there. And I'm going to have to say, Jesus, I thank you that in the midst of the situation, you are there. Your grace is sufficient for me. For me, And I'm going to serve you today. And I'm going to put on a positive attitude. I'm going to do it with gladness, with great joy. And I'm going to rejoice in who you are today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let me go to the mirror and smile at myself. And then I'll go somewhere else and I'll start smiling. And you know what's happening? Look at your screen, people. You're starting to smile too. 
It's infectious. You can't help it. And you can do that for yourself. So put your chin up. Put your chin up. A sad or a downcast attitude is of no use to you or anyone. It doesn't help. It is unbeneficial. It just saps your energy. So put up your chin. What's the next one? Keep your head down. So keep your chin up and keep your head down. This means two things to me. Number one, it means work hard. Focus on what God has called me to do and I'm going to do it with all my heart. Work hard on it. You know, the work that we do, the things that we have to do with our day, work we often consider to be a part of the curse. Do you know that God gave Adam work long before the curse happened? Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. God gave Adam work. And in work, God gave Adam a means of fulfillment, a means of provision, a means of joy and satisfaction. We are satisfied in our work. Well, a man should be. Ecclesiastes 3.13 That every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labor. It is the gift of God. You see, God meets us as we labor and he causes the good. He adds the good. He causes, he causes it to prosper. See, we, we have no control over the returns we get or, you know, we, we have limited control over what we do with our days. But the return of all those things, that's, that's up to God. And he blesses us. He says, this is a blessing from me. The ability to be able to work and to work with God and have him bless the work of our hands. Bless our businesses. Bless our marriages. Bless our ministry. Whatever it is that may be. Because the Bible says this in Proverbs 14.23. In all labor there is profit. But idle chatter leads only to poverty. There's an old adage that says this. Opportunities are usually disguised as hard work. So most people don't recognize them. <laughs> work is a gift from God. It gives us a sense of significance and that we can really contribute to the world around us. We can really make a difference. A desire not to work. There's a you know laziness out there. Work has somehow gotten a really negative connotation. There's, you know, people these days would say things like, work smart, not hard. And what do they actually mean when they say that? They mean to say that hard work is something to be avoided. Work is something you should try and steer away from. Do as little as you possibly can. Minimum effort, maximum return. I just don't see that in Scripture. I don't see that as a godly value at all. I think if God would say anything to us, it would be work smart and hard. So that you can get an even greater return. God wants us to, to work hard, to be diligent, to be people of excellence. And because with that comes satisfaction, joy, blessing. So keep your head down means, you know, work hard at what it is that you're supposed to do. Stay focused on it to make it happen. But it also means this. Don't worry about what everyone else is doing and what everybody else has got. When we go through a hard time and we start feeling sorry for ourselves, what's the first thing we start doing? We start comparing our situation with others. And you know what? The tragedy is this. Generally, we don't compare others, compare ourselves with others who are worse off. We don't compare ourselves with others who have less or who are going through a more difficult time. Because if we did, we would become more thankful to God for our lot. 
But generally we compare ourselves with those who have more, who seem to be doing less and getting more, who seem to be winning and succeeding, and somehow that just makes us feel more miserable about ourselves. I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 20. And I want to just read a portion of scripture and we're going to talk briefly about the dangers of comparisons. Comparisons are very dangerous when we compare ourselves to other people. The Bible tells us to compare ourselves to the word of God. James says the word of God is like a mirror. So there is a truth. There is a, um, a standard with which we should compare ourselves. But that standard is never other people or what other people have got or what God is doing in the lives of other people. So Matthew chapter 20 We'll read from verse 1. It says this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon, again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call all the workers in and pay them beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first uh, came, came to get their pay, they assumed that they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the landowner. Those people worked one hour and yet you've paid them as much as you've paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, Friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? And we'll stop reading there. Folks, in this world's way of looking at things, was that fair? No. Was that right? How could he possibly do that? You see, those first people felt like somehow they deserved more because they worked harder and they worked through the heat of the day and, and they worked longer. And they wanted what they felt they deserved. And they compared themselves to somebody else. But you see, here's the danger when we start doing that. The law ensures that we get what we deserve. The law is all about what we deserve. But as believers, you and I don't get what we deserve. And I want to tell you something, folks. I praise God that I have not gotten what I deserved in this life. And I'm sure that if you understand, once we understand our nature and what it is that Jesus came to give us, you too will be glad that we don't get what we deserve. What I deserve is a cross. What I deserve is crucifixion because there's no way that I could have earned what I deserve. And God spoke to me a long time through the, uh, through this portion of scripture. And, uh, you know, you look at it, you compare yourself sometimes to other things. And I thought to myself, you know, he gave everybody exactly the same thing. 
access to the master. He gave everybody the same thing. So the one who comes in last and the one who came in comes in first doesn't matter. We all have access to the same God, to the same salvation. But I want to say this to you. God deals with us according to two things. Number one, his love. And number two, our faith. I'll read you some scripture to back this up. He deals with us according to his love. That is his own grace and mercy. It is based upon his own will and upon who, his sovereignty. It's based on who he is. God is love. So he deals with us according to who he is. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he demonstrates his love for us. There's nothing we did to earn that. It's just who he is. So that's the one aspect on which God deals with us. The second one is our faith. Again and again and again in Scripture, Bible says, Jesus says, According to your faith, be it done unto you. Matthew 8, 29. He touched the eyes of the blind men. He asked them first, Do you believe that I can heal you? He said, we be They said, We believe. So he touched their eyes and he said, According to your faith, be it done unto you. You know, when I first came across that Scripture, there were some things in my life that I wasn't entirely happy about. And I would look at you know God and say, you know, why is it some seem to be more blessed than me? Why is it some seem to have more breakthrough in here? And you know what God said to me? Where's your faith? You see, with Jesus and in Christ, everything that God has and is, everything that Christ has is available to me. Christ withholds nothing from me and he withholds nothing from you. My experience of him is dependent not upon him, because it's all already been made available. My experience of Him is dependent upon my level of revelation knowledge and my level of faith. I have to own that. I can't blame God for holding out on me. I can't say, God, but that's not fair. Why are you blessing Him and not me? Why does He have victory here and I don't? It seems that things don't work out the way I want them to, Lord. But you know what? At the end of the day, God says to you and me, be of good cheer. Everything is available to you if you believe. The Bible says all things are available to him who believes. So where is the issue? The issue is with me. It's with my faith. So if you don't like something you see in your life, you've got to find out what the Word of God says about that particular area and put your faith to work. Putting your faith to work is one of the things that ministers the greatest joy to your heart. Why? Because faith believes that it has received when it prays, not when it sees it with its eyes. Faith sees with spiritual eyes and receives with gratitude now in the spirit long before it manifests itself in the natural. And when I receive what I desire, what, what happens to me? I become joyous. I become cheerful. So I want to say to you tonight, and here's what I want to encourage you to, with. If you are struggling with something, whatever your situation may be, Count it as a joy that you have something to aim your faith at. Go find out what God promises concerning that situation. Consider it an opportunity for growth and blessing. Put a smile on your face and face it with grace. It's, it's the positive attitude that is a, a choice, an act of my will when I believe what it is that God says and when I believe in who Jesus is. You see, folks, no matter what we go through, as long as we're close to Jesus, 
We always have something to be glad about, something to be thankful about, something to, to, to look forward to. Because there's a joy that is in our heart. And I get the privilege of, of serving my God every single day with cheerfulness. Like I say to you, sometimes that's not easy. We all face discouragement. We all face things that disappoint us, that grieve us. But at the end of the day, if I'm living my life in that state, I'm living way below what, what Christ came to give me. So I want to say to you today, like I've said already many times, if you keep your chin up and your head down, don't worry about what anybody else is doing. Don't worry about what anybody else says. Focus on what it is that God has called you to do. Do it with all your heart. Do it with joy and with gladness. And in due season, you will reap the reward. That is how simple the Christian life should be. It should be a joy. It should be a privilege. Amen? So keep your chin up. Keep your head down. And you'll be just fine. Amen. Amen? Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.